I am Planta on the Line in Vancouver, British Columbia at thecommentary.ca. Starting last week, the feature documentary The Color of Ink has been opening in cities across the country. It opens April 7th here in Vancouver at the VIF Centre, and uh, joining me now is its director and producer, Brian D. Johnson. The film is a, a mesmerizing and moving look at ink, and the visionary ink maker Jason Logan, who harvests colors from the natural world, bark, flowers, rocks, rust, weeds, and berries, among other sources. He supplies ink to various artists, including Margaret Atwood, who appears in the film. Mr. Logan's ink goes around the world, too, including the Japanese artist Koji Kakinuma. And uh, what we see in that relationship in particular is how involved the ink maker is in the process of creating art, even though he's uh, half the world away. It's a compelling film that makes us look at the outside world a little more reverently and ponder ink and its uses, not just in the artistic, but the legal, the historical, and even the mythical. The film reveals a humanity in life and art through the artists and artisans featured therein. There were events this past weekend in Toronto featuring Mr. Logan, who I'll ask uh, Brian about, like uh, what he was like to follow and what his workspace was like and how he goes about his work. I'll also uh, ask Brian about the impetus to make this film uh, and the travels he and or his cameras made for it. Brian D. Johnson is a writer, filmmaker, and cultural commentator. He is best known for his three decades at McLean's Magazine, where he was film critic and senior arts writer. He remains a contributing editor there. He is the producer and director of the 2015 documentary Al Purdy Was Here. The website for more is at nfb.ca. This uh, film is uh, co-produced by Sphinx Productions and the National Film Board of Canada. Please welcome back to the Plant Online program, Brian Johnson. Mr. Johnson, good morning. Good morning, Joseph. How are you? You can call me Brian, not Mr. Please. <laughs> I'm, I'm well. I hope you're well as well. Uh, I, I was t- just telling you, this is a, a, a beautiful film. It works on so many levels um, because it's just so captivating to watch. The colors really come alive, and um, I, you know, I can only imagine what it's like on the big screen to see this. But but it's also about these people, Jason Logan especially. Uh, what was the um, impetus to make the movie? Was his story really what got you um, wanting to make this movie? Well, I have to say it was the ink via mm. Jason. And yeah. that's kind of how the movie works. Uh, the ink is our silent protagonist, and Jason is the main subject and the kind of vehicle who uh, takes us places via the ink. Um, it happened by pure happenstance, uh, which is the way all my films seem to happen. The film found me. I didn't go looking for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I was interviewing Margaret Atwood, uh, so the previous doc feature that I made called Al Purdy was here. She mm-hmm. was in that. We were shooting an interview with her, with her and she said, um, uh, did you know that the statue of Al Purdy in Queen's Park in Toronto, around the legislature, do you know that it, it has a Twitter feed? I said, no, I didn't. She said, well, it's been going on for months. We don't know who it is, but every day or so, this anonymous person tweets from the point of view of the statue, whatever the statue sees. I mm-hmm. oh, that's interesting. So that night, I run into... Um, Jason Logan, who I knew Jason from uh, from McLean's days, and I was a I spent you know three decades nearly as a yeah. arts writer and film critic for McLean's, and um, and he was an art director there. And Jason comes up to me and says, "You have to introduce me to Margaret Atwood." And I said, "Well, I was weird you asked. I was just talking to her today, but she's not here." He said, "I got to give her something." And then he pauses and, by way of kind of persuasion, says, "I'm the I'm the voice of the Al, statue of Al." 
were Alperty Twitter feeds. Mm. So um, I said, well, this is something. So we went down that rabbit hole. Inevitably, Jason's tweets from the POV of the statue became these little interstitials, sort of zen, moments of kind of zen poetry uh, in the Alperty film. And we went a bridge too far. We shot Jason collecting black walnuts black walnuts from the base of the, of the tree overlooking the statue that was the first place he made ink, and the black walnut was his foundational ink as an ink maker. And, and we, we went to his home, and we shot him making black walnut ink. Well, all of that fell on the cutting room floor, a bridge too far. But, um, you know, the, once Al Purdy was done with, Jason says, could you cut me a reel out of the footage? Yeah. Well, so that's, you know, footage begets, begets footage, and, and that's how... That's how I came. It was really when I, I did a bit more shooting with him, when I looked at his ink test, which is, you haven't seen the film, you know that these, um, these alchemical kind of cosmic swirls of color and pigment yeah, yeah. That, that, where the ink seems to be moving with a mind of its own. And I looked at this sort of little space odyssey tableau, a split square, and I thought, nobody's ever seen anything like this. I want to put it on the theater screen. So I really made it as a big screen movie right from the, its moment of conception. That was the whole ambition. Yeah, his uh, Logan's life story is, is so fascinating. I mean, it, it, not just his own, say, uh, uh, family life today and, and, and this this work that he does, but I mean, he, he appeared in a, in a film as a child, and, and you have footage of that in your film. Uh, was, that, was that film about his mother? It, it was about his mother dying of cancer when he was nine years of age. And it was um, directed by uh, Chris Wynoff and uh, Bronwyn Wallace. Uh, Bronwyn was quite a well-known poet, and there's a poetry prize named after her. And she was a friend of Jason's mother. Yeah. And um, it was those wonderful early days of, you know, 16-millimeter NFB kind of movies, little films. And it's incredibly intimate. And I didn't know about this when we started, you know, making the film with Jason. We didn't sound, uh, this wasn't part of the plan, but yeah. the more time we spent together shooting, uh, Jason gradually began to sort of uncover his origin story. And the reason he really started making ink was it goes back to his childhood and sort of, you know, being alone with nature and finding meaning in nature. And, um, and the, his mother played a kind of instrumental role the very first, um, the, if, if, if black walnuts were his kind of what got him started ink making, his most kind of the ink that goes deepest back into his past is wild grape, and uh, he picks wild grapes off the, the rail path in Toronto. But he first encountered them with his mother, and he said that they seemed to open up a portal to some kind of magical place, maybe because it was by the railway, and you know it was romantic and so on. But so. So much of what he does goes back to his goes back to his childhood, which is let's face it, where we first kind of, you know, get a sense of wonder, yeah. looking at um, looking at the world around us, and in particular nature. Yeah, he sees so much possibility outside that I, I think a lot of us wish we could see the world like him. Um, he, he seems to yeah. move through life on a, on a different frequency than the, the rest of us, I guess. Yeah, he has this sort of. I've never met anybody who has sort of such a sophisticated, urbane, cool, educated, expert look at, you know, at the world through his profession, whether it's graphic design or mm -hmm. art direction or ink making, but at the same time manages to preserve 
a childlike sense of naivete, you know, which is kind of essential if you're an artist yeah. to be able to know how to tap that. And he was, I mean, whenever he was on cam- camera, there was a sense that he, well, he was improvising. He didn't know what was going to happen next. Mm. And, um, and that's what I look for in a film when I'm watching one. And that's kind of what I wanted to, I wanted just the film to unfold, you know? Yeah. Um, naturally and organically, uh, in a sense, you know, honoring the spirit of its subject, natural ink. You know, his ink is kind of a two-way radio. Most, <laughs> most ink goes in one direction. It transmits a message or an image sure. or a tattoo or whatever yeah. to, to the recipient of the ink. Well, Jason's ink, the message travels both ways. He, he receives and um, kind of imprints memories from the place that the ink comes from. It's a bit like a wine, a vintner, a winemaker, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. the, the, ter- the terroir, but it goes a bit further with Jason. And uh, he's also, he's tapping into the primal ingredients of ink before we had petrochemical colors that could produce any color you like. And, and there's a limited number of these things. And they go back a long way, and they have an elemental kind of mystery to them, whether it's iron or, you know, calcium, uh, uh, you know, the or limestone, or marble, you know, marble dust in Carrara, Italy, basically, you know, descended from the bones of sea creatures. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, 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 Jason was always unveiling, he was kind of revealing the world to us. We just had to kind of, you know, follow his cues, and, and we, we, we hit a bit of a roadblock, because we were shooting in seven countries. Uh-huh. Um, the pandemic came down when we covered Mexico, the U.S., and Canada, and then we were sort of grounded for two years. But fortunately, Jason Vince could travel where, where we couldn't. And it's um, even though we spent two years doing a production schedule we originally planned for a few months, uh, time is such a luxury when you're making a documentary, and the story just kept ripening, and, uh, you know, like the fruit on the vine. It just... Uh, it got better, and we discovered new characters. And uh, you know, the film would have been completely different without the pandemic. Yeah, they're, they're marvelous places um, that, that you go to in the film. They make for marvelous images in in, in the film. Um, is there we one for we, we look for beauty in landscape? That yeah. was part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Is, okay, is there is there one place that, that you if you had the, the the chance right now to go back to that you'd want to go back? Well, ironically, it's a place that. I only went to virtually, which is Carrara, Italy, the, mm. uh, the ancient limestone quarries. Um, we, I directed that remotely with a, with a local crew and mm-hmm. with an artist, Marta Abbott, who was collecting limestone, or rather marble dust, uh, to, to send to Jason, who made white ink for an Islamic calligrapher in London, quite the, quite the circuit. Yeah. But, you know, the crew there, and they were so dedicated, uh, they didn't get what they, they spent a full day shooting and didn't get quite what they want, wanted. But they went back for free the second day because I don't think they wanted to leave that kind of heaven on earth <laughs> yeah. site. You know, I mean, the images from Carrara are extraordinary. Yeah. And, um, you know, so I'd love to go there. Um, where else? I don't know. Um, we spent quite a bit of time in Death Valley and, uh-huh. uh, and, and the West Coast. I could spend a lot of time in California and those the California wilds, the deserts, the uh, 
there's so much there. Yeah, you know. Yeah. You, you visit uh, a number of places where these art, artists and artisans work. Um, yeah. J- Jason Space, of course, is, is featured uh, throughout the film. Um, I, I was curious to know uh, his, his place, for example. Uh, what does it yeah. smell like? Well, I don't have a. It doesn't really smell of much. Um, I mean, some of the ingredients that he works with, uh, you know, you could, he'll sniff a black walnut, and uh-huh. there's, a, there's a limey kind of scent to it. But, but it's not. This is not the kind of chemistry that involves a lot of acrid, you know, smoke or vapor. It's not. Um, it doesn't smell like anything in particular. Uh-huh. But, but I'm glad you asked because the whole point of the film is to convey a sense of to capture all the senses and, and get a sense of uh, tactile, you know, it, 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 should, it should look tactile as much as it looks visual. And, uh, yeah. Sorry, I'm, I'm in a public space here, and I've run into a crowd of children. Let me just uh, get out of here for one second. No, it's fine. Um, anyway, um, well, it's, it's natural, you know? It's yeah. Yeah, because film you watch through a crowd of children. Yeah, he has he has these these rail spikes that he's he's soaking and they're they're rusting and they're 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 uh, exploding is not the right word, but they're they're turning into something else. And he gets the color from that. And I was just curious to know what that smelled like because um, I, I don't really like rust. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, it didn't really. I couldn't. I have no memory of. I don't have a great sense of smell. Mm. But but rust is one of his favorite ingredients. Um, you know, oxidized yeah. iron, partly because it's alive, you know, it just keeps rotting away and accumulating and barnacling. And it's kind of comic, really. I mean, that's one of the first glimpses you have of him in the movie, got these rail spikes. Yeah. And then he goes to a jar and says, oh, this one's been, you know, marinating for years. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. just, wow. You know, it takes a certain amount of commitment to an idea to, um, to do that, you know, there's there's a there's a beautiful obsession going on there. So when you'd go to these people's uh, uh, places of work, these workspaces, yeah. um, would would you, would they tidy up before you filmed, or, or would you ask them say? No, I mean it is a documentary. We're not trying to um, uh, we're not trying to art direct it. I mean when we shoot Jason, because he's an art director, his materials and everything are quite graphically displayed, you know, mm-hmm. like he, he can't resist art directing his own workspace. Yeah. Um, but he does that anyway, even if he went there. Um, but, no, you go into the, like we, you know, we don't go into, just so people get the idea, basically Jason's at the hub of this film. He sends his inks that he makes for particular artists around the world, and then we go and film those artists using the ink. And um, Rocks, who is this kind of tattoo artist to the stars, art and the uh, Malibu uh, Hills. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, she lives in like this... I mean, people fly private from across the globe to get tattooed by her. And so, you know, it's quite lavish, but incredibly Spartan-looking and all. She just does black work, no colors, all black work. And the place is all black and glass, and it's on a mountaintop. And, I mean... And there's a gigantic picture window, you know, like there's like wall-to-wall cinemascope screen of glass mm-hmm. looking out over the mountain. When you arrive at a location like that, uh, <laughs> it's well for one thing because it's a tattoo artist studio. It's very pristine, but also um, it's a ready-made set. Yeah. You know? yeah. Uh, so uh, you know, there was the film sort of toggles between these tableaus, these 
landscape where we where Jason is foraging out in the wilderness or and, and some of the artists that, that we, we encounter and the landscape on the page which is um, in close up and um, and that's really where the where the real poetry of the film is where we see the ink so sort of the secret life of ink kind of inventing itself and morphing um, on the page Jason like this yeah. this incredible alchemist just combine things his favorite word is let's see how this behaves yeah yeah <laughs> how these behave I mean it's a kind of personification of the elements so. Yeah, the, 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 I, it's something that we never think about, that, that ink is, is a living organism. Um, you know, we, we think of these great documents that someone mentions in the film, you know, constitutions, bills and the sort, uh, even autographs. Um, long after a person dies, the, the ink on paper takes on uh, new meaning, takes on new life itself. Well, it um, has more longevity than we do, that's yeah, for sure. Indeed. Um, and it's alive in the sense that, you know, people often don't think that, the rocks are alive, sure, you know? yeah. Um, but yeah, they're, uh, they're not alive in the same way that plants and humans and animals are, but, uh, but the earth is alive. It's just moving at a much slower pace, you know, that's the deep time of geology. We got more and more interested in geology. Mm. Um, if you're making ink from the elements of the earth, well, it's all coming from that earth, no matter what, you know, plants or whatever you use. Um, it's um, it's it's uh, Jason kind of it's weird. He's into a niche, like ink, like 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 a, a straight line, which is sort of the classic ink kind of form of expression. It's a line, whether it's or or a calligraphic line. But his ink kind of just keeps going outside of that that narrow groove and outside of the box, and he keeps using it as a way to explore other worlds and. And that's why it's so cinematic to me, and yeah. and the story. And I, of course, it would it's, it's just be pretty pictures without the characters. But you know, some of the people that we worked with, uh, Yuri Shimojo, is Japanese painter in New York. Uh, you know, she um, she went through a personal yeah, health yeah. trauma, and and which kind of which weirdly became part of the story. I wouldn't even want to talk about it without kind of spoil it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and there were dramatic elements that kind of you didn't you didn't plot out and um, storyboard like the rest of the film, but things that just happened um, because, uh, like the ink elements on the page, the characters, the artists in their lives, they were mixing and mingling as well and, and changing, and things were happening. Yeah, that. Uh, that that first artist in Japan, Koji uh, Koji Kakanuma. Yeah, yeah, I mean he has the, the I think the best line in the movie, which I won't which I won't repeat. Um, <laughs> not not because I'm, I'm not because I'm I'm uh, uh, purient about uh, cursing, but I just I think it's a it's a great line. Well, it's a, it's one surefire laugh in the movie. I'll tell you that we we, <laughs> we tried to find a few few laughs. I mean we're not that serious about the subject. No. Uh, you know, uh, one of the what I can't stand about some stuff where people revere nature and mm. all of it is that, you know, the, the sense of humor and fallibility drops out. And, and you know, it's um, <laughs> it's all, you know, a little bit absurd, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so, uh, so we can't take ourselves too seriously. Brian, what about the music? I was, I was curious to know about some of the musical choices. I mean, so, so, some of them seem inevitable. Like if, if you're going to talk about Blue, you'd put Gershwin under it. 
Um, how did Rhapsody you decide? Blue, yeah. yeah. How did you decide on on what music to use? Well, uh, part of it was a score, which was created very organically with Don Kerr, our composer, who uh, people might know from the Rio Statics and the tours with Bahamas. Uh, he's kind of a he's kind of a Swiss Army knife of of an artist. Like he's a producer, he's an engineer, he's he's a composer, he's a musician, he's a multi instrumentalist instrumentalist with a cello and drums and everything under the sun. So he and I worked together very closely to to develop the score, and um, and that's kind of the flesh and blood, the musical flesh and blood of the film. But I knew right from the beginning I wanted this to be more like a but more like a drama than a documentary in the sense that no talking heads um, and, and a, a sense of flow and drama that, that really only music can, 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 uh, can propel. Mm-hmm. And it's not typical in a doc to put in, I mean, we license music from, you know, K.D. Lang, Joni Mitchell, The, the Pretenders, Gershwin, Miles Davis, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's, um, and I deliberately went for film, for, for, obviously for music that I liked and I thought would work, but also music that would resonate. And, and when the first sort of song hits, it should be a bit of a surprise. You're not expecting to hear a song, you know. And even, I mean, my composer was fantastic. Don mm-hmm. was great. But partially because he was willing to collaborate, I didn't want to go with one of the sort of signature auteur composers who will just sort of give you a score and put a signature on the film. Yeah. Uh, um, Quentin Tarantino, when, when he's asked, why don't you use composers? And you know, Tarantino mashes up a lot of licensed music. He says, the music is the soul of my film. Why would I trust it to a composer that I don't know? Mm. <laughs> I sort of feel the same way. Uh, I was, uh, the one part of the film you have the least control over is the director, the music. Um, but in, in many ways, it was the most rewarding uh, part of the film because um, just when you think the film is finished, then it gets this whole other life when the music starts to take shape. Uh, in the movie, Logan talks about um, his uh, work uh, as an art director in newspapers um, and magazines and then and now moving into this world of ink. Did, did you see a connection to your own previous career, say, as a critic who we all read in, in McLean's uh, Ink on Paper? now making a film on ink, which writers have used forever, say? Yeah, well, Jason and I have talked about this, you know, that we kind of crisscrossed, you know. Yeah. Uh, oddly enough, we, we both left McLean's, not simultaneously, but um, in both cases it really wasn't our choice. <laughs> in my case, we, uh, you know, they slashed everything they could, and now they start, you know, so what's left? Oh, let's slash the arts. So, but but it was fortunate because that got me into filmmaking, and um, and Jason, so Jason went from print into ink making. I went from print into filmmaking. It was quite happenstance in both ways. Um, like I, I was never looking for another career, even after. Now that I've made two feature documentaries and a couple of shorts, I, I still I'm not looking for a career as a filmmaker. I just make the films one at a time, and they just. I kind of stumble into them, and, they, mm-hmm. and and it's like if you don't, it's like the subject that is saying if you don't make this film, nobody else will, and it really should be made. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So so, but but yeah, it's odd how our our, our paths kind of cross. So we're at different stages of our lives. You know, Jason's about twenty years younger than me, and um, his brain is currently on fire. 
which is a beautiful thing to behold. He, uh, he has a weekly newsletter called The Color, which he started doing in the middle of this film as a kind of journal, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of it. And uh, it's, he's a wonderful writer. So, and meanwhile, I'm sort of more and more infatuated with the image, and he's becoming, you know, more of a, a real authorial writer. And he's, he's written several books, so, yeah. you know, and he's, he's now writing children's books uh, about ink. So, um, and he's carved out a unique niche as an ink maker. Um, I don't think I'll ever carve out a unique niche as a, a writer or a, I've always been a bit of a generalist and a, and a, and a dilettante, always looking for the, something on, across the fence. But, but, uh, but Jason has specialized in a, in a way that doesn't seem to limit anything, which, um, which is interesting. Well, this is a hell of a good film. Uh, as a, as a, uh, well, thanks so much, Jeff. I, I hope you, you know that uh, after our conversation. You know what I will mm-hmm. tell you about yeah. and, and film? Is that as a writer, and I spend most of my life as a writer, you can only be so proud of your own work because it's all you. Mm. You know, it's like your flesh and blood. It's 100% you. A film, there's, you just look at the credits. I mean, there's all of these people creatively contributing to it. Right. It's the people who are on screen, you know, who are so much, in the end, more important than, than, than you. And, you know, the film can exist without you, much is done, but those people kind of live on. So all I can say is I can, when you first see the film on the big screen, I, I, first time I saw it, I looked at it and I thought, well, this is a thing. And the way that a piece of writing isn't a thing, this has it exists apart from me. It, it stands alone. And I can admire it and, and be kind of awed and impressed by it. I think it's, it's fantastic because it's, it's beyond my talent. You know, there's so many other forces at work. Are you working on another film now? Nope. <laughs> no, I'm just, um, I'm looking forward to some, some uh, empty time where I'm not doing anything. Um, I have no plans to make another film. Uh, I don't necessarily want to go, you know, you spend... I spend yeah, I spent years and years and years making this film. And a lot of it, if it was all creative, it would be great. But a mm-hmm. lot of it's with men. A lot of it's producing and yeah. financing and promoting. And, and I kind of want to do something. I kind of want to almost like kind of get a bit closer to nature, nature like the ink maker. I, I, I want to do things that are more purely artistic, i.e. smaller, where they don't involve a serious budget. And, um, and, and, where, and, and I may... Um, you know, I may just uh, go back and do some writing. Uh, you know, I, the grass always looks greener. Uh, when I was a, write, a writer, filmmaking looked like heaven on earth. You know? <laughs> right, yeah. And then, and, then, and then once you sort of I remember those moments, you know, filmmaking, you sort of say, gee, I can only just write this. It's so much easier. <laughs> you got to get the shot, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I'm sure in, in, in promoting the film, you're asked what your favorite color is a lot, are you? You know, nobody has asked me that, call, that, really? that question. No. So you go right ahead. <laughs> yeah, well, I, 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 I don't really have one. Yeah, I, I was um, thinking as a filmmaker, I, you, you, you probably would have a couple that you really like. Well, you know, the film is organized sort of in color, somewhat invisible color chapters. Um, we, we start with black, we mm-hmm. end with white. Um, and, you know, the colors don't have equal weight in terms of ink, uh, or even even generally. I mean, red 
is kind of more important than, you know, fuchsia. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, but I would say blue is, if I had to pick a color, I would choose blue because um, it's the only color with its own music. Um, it was blue that we devoted an entire medley to with yeah. Joni Mitchell Gershwin and, um, uh, and Miles Davis um, with the blue pieces. Um, blue is the color of sky, it's the color of water, but it's also kind of, it's not even a substantive color of those materials, it's sort of like a transparent, um, it's a window, it's blue by reflection of something. I don't, still don't understand how, how yeah, all that works. Yeah. So I, I think blue is kind of the most ubiquitous and mysterious and uh, open color. It's like, um, it's the most transporting color for me. Uh, and and, and Unlike a lot of the other colors, it doesn't really have the same kind of materiality. And it was, it's a very difficult color to produce um, naturally yeah, yeah. Um, with natural ingredients, which is like Prussian blue, which is was such a revolution and, uh, you know, made way for, uh, you know, Van Gogh's Starry Night and, um, and the waves, that iconic Japanese painting. Uh, it was a natural blue that was discovered by accident in an alchemist lab. We sort of uh, we we get a bit into the weeds. Of, you do, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, we, you know we, there's so many stories to tell. We figured we had to sort of at least lay out the uh, the armature of, of of ink's history because it was important to understand yeah. and, and little known. And um, and then there's also the story of color and how colors are created and what they sort of say. And then there's a story of Jason, you know, yeah, so this, yeah. those are the three narrative kind of um, circles that we were, um, the three ring circles, you know. It's a, it's a beautiful film. Congratulations. It's been a pleasure speaking with you again, Brian. Uh, all the best. Well, thanks so much, and um, you'll let people know where it's playing, I think. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> okay, thanks a lot. The website for more is at nfb.ca and, of course, viff.org. For uh, tickets uh, uh, at the VIF Center, April 7th is when uh, The Color of Ink opens there. The film is called The Color of Ink, and its uh, producer and director, Brian Johnson, joined me on the line from Toronto. In Vancouver, I'm Joseph Planta.